Lord, would you open our ears and our eyes to your word? Especially, Lord, when it's this complicated. <laughs> and especially when it is difficult to make sense of it. Lord, by your spirit, come and teach us now, we ask, in Jesus' name. Amen. That passage we've just had read uh, was read at a funeral I took a few years ago. Um, but it was read, f it wasn't read from the King James Version, but it was read from the RSV. Um, and this version in the NIV is more understandable than the RSV, which is slightly more understandable than the King James Version, with the imperishable and the perishable and the, and the corruptible and the non-corruptible. It's just very confusing. Um, I tried to persuade the guys at this funeral not to read this passage, but they wanted to, and then the son um, preached from it, and two people became Christians. So who am I to say what version they should read from, you know? <laughs> what God does with the scriptures is what God does, and he'd spoken directly to these two people that became Christians at this funeral. Um, I guess when the son of the deceased is preaching, they can turn around and make an altar call from the front, can't they? Um, where you've... I wouldn't necessarily do that at somebody else's funeral, but there we go. There's a verse in the middle of this that Wendy and I know really well. It was given to us on a card about 20, 27 years ago, just over now. It was given, us on to, a, a given, it, given to us on a, new, a congratulations on the birth of your baby card. And it, it, it had written on the front, we shan't all sleep, but we will all be changed. There you go. For those at home, they, they laughed politely, which is fine. But it, I think it's brilliant. I think that's, I think that's a, great, a great use of scripture. <laughs> but there you go. How are we going to get our heads around this passage? Because Paul is writing to the Corinthians, and he's writing into their context. He's writing, he knows how they think, and he has to counter some of their cultural preconceptions. The really strange thing is the cultural preconceptions that these Greek dwellers had, I won't say they were all Greeks because some of them would have been Romans living in the Roman settlement in Corinth, but these people living in Greece would have been impacted by the Greek philosophy around them and the Greek philosophy that impacted them has impacted us in Western Europe over the, over the centuries and affected the way we think. It's affected the way we educate, affected the way we actually construct arguments and sadly has impacted a lot of the way we do theology because we do theology with the brain and the brain's been impacted by the Greek. So actually Paul's criticisms of the way the Corinthians are thinking, we need to hear. We need to hear quite clearly. And what the Corinthians would have been thinking, or what one school of philosophy would have thought, was that this physical body was just a spirit sack. It was just a thing that holds our true being. And when we die, this sack disappears, and the, and the true us is released into resurrection. It's called the transmigration of souls in Greek philosophy. You've done that at college yet? I mean... Yep, hey, see, just to prove I'm vaguely talking about something that exists, uh, so that's good. And, and sadly, I hear it said, I hear it said in Christ, from Christian pulpits, where people say, well, when we die, we're released from our bodies into the fullness of um, our being. Not true. 
There is a physical resurrection. The, the Greek thinking completely tears apart the spiritual and the physical. Okay? They completely separate the two. And one is better. The, Greek, the, the spiritual is better. This is where the whole Gnostic heresy, if you've heard of that, comes from. Very early in the church. But, but we've still got bits of it hanging around now. The biblical understanding is that body, soul, and spirit are inextricably linked. That they, they come together. That's why the Bible has two words for body. The Bible, and the better translations translate them differently. One talks about the body. No, I won't, I won't hit anybody else. But the physical reality of the... Of the um, I want to say flesh and blood, but I want to avoid the word flesh. Uh, the physical reality of our bones and our skin and just, just that physical thing. And the other word, so that's the word soma, for those of you that have done living in freedom. But the other word is zarx, which is flesh. Which is the fallen nature. It's the fleshly, the worldly thinking. It's the, the things of the flesh. That phrase, yeah. Flesh used as in the sense of flesh pots and all that, the, bleh, all that stuff. It's the nasty stuff, the wrong thinking, the wrong emotions, the wrong imagination, the wrong stuff. So when Paul in this passage, and I will get to the passage in a minute, I promise. When Paul in this passage talks about the spiritual body, his Greek hearers would have gone, what? Because it doesn't make sense to them. The phrase spiritual body doesn't make sense because the two are separate. The spiritual has to escape the body. But Paul is trying to get them to see here that the physical is raised. There is a spiritual body. You and I on resurrection day will be recognizable as who we are. We will look like we look. Some of us might not have white hair and we may be a little thinner. Um, but... We will look like we look. So it really bugs me when I hear people say, I don't like my nose, or I don't like the colour hair I've got. I mean, be grateful you've got coloured hair, for goodness sake. I, I don't like this, I don't like that about me. Because actually what we're saying is, I don't like the way God's made me. That's not good. Now we look after ourselves, and there might be stuff about us that we've caused to happen that we don't like. That's different. But... God made us, and he made us in the physical sense to be that physical being forever. That's why the resurrection of Jesus is a physical resurrection. That's why he eats fish on the, on the, uh, uh, on the beach, with the barbecue on the beach with the disciples. That's why Thomas can go up and put his finger in the holes. It, it, he's physical, but he's spiritual. He is a spiritual body. He's the, the risen body he's the new, the new life of the resurrection it's not a resuscitation as Peter said last week it's not a going back it's a going through and going on and it's a new place and to the Greeks that Paul is writing to they would be going what are you talking about because it's completely against and the sad thing is as Christians I think sometimes we believe that we've got to escape these bodies and I've heard it preached many times. What you, we've got to, even in the here and now, we've got to somehow escape our physical limitations. God has made us who we are. So when I was talking about being um, it, um, infinite beings the other week, I wasn't trying to get away from what Chris had said about us being physical and being in a small... But it, 
we've got to hold the two in tension. Back to the passage, Laurie. Paul is a Pharisee, of course, by training. So he fully believes in the resurrection and he fully believes in the supernatural realm. And do you know why he believes in them? Because he knows his Bible. Now, I know he's going to write most of the rest of the Bible, but we're talking about the Old Testament here. And he knows that physical realm is real. Uh, Sorry, that spiritual realm is utterly real. But it's so clear in the Old Testament that the two are inextricably linked. So what does this passage say? Verse 35. Some may ask, how is the dead raised? What kind of body will they come? There's this question, what does resurrection mean? And I love this thing in verse 36. How foolish it says. How foolish. Now, as ever, the Bible translators are euphemizing what's there. Oh, how foolish. What Paul is actually writing here and what the Greek actually says, you idiots. Because it's that strong. Just as much as they're going, what? He's going, you're stupid. You should know the difference. How foolish. You fools, actually. I nearly did a Mr. T impression there, but that would have been lost on most people. So. A couple of people are smiling, that's all right. Uh, the Greek for resurrection, again, because we have this understanding of the spirit leaving the body, what, what the word resurrection means in the Bible very much is standing up among the dead. So it's you're in the place of the dead and you stand up. You live. And if you can try and think of it as that image, and you know, imagine we go out to the, the, you know, the burial ground and suddenly a load of people stand up out of the graves. It'd freak you out, wouldn't it? But that's what the resurrection's going to be like. People will physically rise up. Oh, what are we going to do with those that we've, we've um, cremated? Thank you, Ian. <laughs> do you know what? God created us ex nihil out of nothing. I think he can manage with a box of ash. We will come back, to, but we will come back together as a physical being. So please don't panic if you've cremated people and you're now thinking, I shouldn't. Don't worry about it. It's okay. God, God, God can cope. God can cope. And that actually is what it says in verse 38. Paul goes through this about all the different types of flesh, but God gives it a body as he has determined. To each kind of seed, he gives its own body. God is sovereign. With all of this, God is utterly sovereign. So when God, those who God has chosen stand up from among the dead, it, it's like as a flower is to a seed. You look at a little seed and it's difficult to imagine what flower's going to, well it is for me, what flower's going to come from it because it looks like this dried up husk, nothing. <coughs> and then huge trees come from them or huge bushes come from them or beautiful flowers. What's in the seed? And when we are born, we have that potential in us. We're all made in the image of God. And when we're born again, Jesus comes and dwells in us. And that part of us is, becomes alive. That's the born again bit. 
We're born again of the spirit, but all of our soul that is godly and all of our soma, physical that is godly, comes fully alive. And that's the resurrection thing. So we are raised with Christ in the heavenly realms, Ephesians 2. But we don't yet walk in the fullness of that. There's the now and the not yet of the kingdom. But God is sovereign. God gives flesh. God is sovereign. And verses 36 to 41 show us that. And Paul is just trying to pull out this argument about what resurrection is. The key thing, though, he gets to quite quickly in verse 42, is that however we understand resurrection, and he's shown us how we should, the point of it is that resurrection transforms everything. Utterly transforms everything. Yes, there needs to be crucifixion before resurrection. Yes, there needs to be the cross. Actually, there needs to be disorganization before reorganization. There needs to be degeneration before regeneration. Do you get that? God can't put things back together unless we realize they need putting back together. God can't bring us to be born again until you realize you need to be born again. Born, being born again just doesn't happen because you're born into a family. Just because you happen to live in, well, I was about to say live in a Christian country. I'm not sure we do. And actually, you read the history properly, I'm not sure we ever did, really. Because the, it was the minority that went to church and believed it. So it, it comes because we go, actually, God, I need you. I realize I'm not fully alive. I realize I'm not. There's a large, huge part of me that needs to. Jesus, I need you. I recognize my degeneration. I recognize my disorganization. I recognize my emptiness. I need you to come and fill me. I need you to fulfill me as well as fill me full. And verses 42 to 49 here. You know, the body that's so... Something that can die actually becomes not able to die, perishable and imperishable. It's, it's sown in dishonour. Something that previously that was, was negative is now raised in glory. Something that was weak is now full of power. Something that was natural is now spiritual. Not different, not, not something completely replaced, but the thing fulfilled to be what it should be. So the new body is this body fulfilled. And it transforms everything. It contrasts the fall and the new life in Jesus. Verse 50, I declare to you, brothers, that the flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Hmm. The incorruptible, the imperishable. This is the zarks that has gone, the fleshly stuff that has disappeared. This is the stuff that God has taken away. We go from death to resurrection. And here's the key. Verse 54. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable. Notice not replaced, clothed with clothed with and the mortal with immortality then the saying that is written will come true death has been swallowed up in victory where O death is your victory where O death is your sting the sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law and here's another song I could have sung but thanks be to God 
who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Victory, crucifixion is necessary for the new life of resurrection to come. Crucifixion deals with the barrier, but resurrection is the reality. It's the new age of the kingdom. It's the new way of doing things. Not when we get to heaven, but now. Now, when we get to heaven, it will be full and complete. And there will be, you know, we will experience it completely. But it is full and complete now. We just need to experience more of it. So my call to you this morning is just to recognise the truth of that victory. That actually death, which is the biggest taboo in our, it really is the biggest taboo in, in our culture. Um, yeah, it, it just is. People talk about death in strange ways. We have so many euphemisms for death. You know, kick the bucket, you know, he's been taken or whatever it is. And actually, death in our culture is not faced up to. <clears throat> Taking funerals is hard work because the sadness that is around and the fear that is around is palpable. <clears throat> Until you take a Christian funeral. Those of you who were at Maggie's funeral a couple of years back, it wasn't sad, it was a celebration because everybody there knew where she was. She was out of pain. And all that stuff. Same with my dad's funeral. A couple of years back. It was fine. I, I, I wanted to do it again. Because I wanted the people to hear the truth again. But when you take a funeral for someone who doesn't know the Lord. He doesn't have that assurance. It's not the same. It's not the same. Guys. Think on the resurrection. Let the Lord show you the truth of that. But more than anything, rejoice in the victory. Rejoice that death doesn't, doesn't sting us. It still comes for us, because death comes to us all. And it may not be a pleasant journey, but the destination is worthwhile. The destination is in the presence of God. The destination is in heaven. The destination is with us, together, recognisably. And that's something to give thanks for. As he says right at the end of the chapter, I love Paul. He goes through this theology, getting his head round it, trying to get... Therefore, stand firm, let nothing move you. Give yourself fully to the work of the Lord, because you know your labour in the Lord is not in vain. This stuff about resurrection should blow your mind. If it doesn't blow your mind, you probably haven't cottoned on to what's going on because actually every time you look at it it should get bigger the resurrection is so important it's not as one bishop put it a number of decades ago it's not a conjuring trick with bones it's the absolute foundation of our faith no resurrection no victory no point the truth of the resurrection victory in life and every reason to give thanks Amen.